themselves and 360 the world. Jamie Neal, the host, asked many questions about their mindset and how they fundamentally operate their world and the world around them. Hello, welcome back to 360 Yourself. I hope you're having a beautiful morning wherever you are in the world, whether you are in New York, LA, Australia, London, Devon, wherever you are in the world. I hope you're having uh, a beautiful morning. I know there's lots of uh, restrictions happening, especially in Scotland and, and Wales, where they're having uh, two-week uh, circuit breaks. I think in Ireland it's about six weeks, so uh, hopefully you can keep uh, a mental uh, positive attitude towards this, and we'll have a better Christmas because we are um, doing it now earlier. Um, just a no another thing to flag up, we have uh, the US elections happening very, very soon on the 3rd of November. Um, I've been saying to a lot of my uh, friends and audience audiences about voting. It's really, really important if you're listening and you have the ability to vote, please do vote because it all, it all matters. Your single vote does matter. Um, so now moving forward, I've got an amazing guest. As I always say, I love speaking to my guests because I learned so much about one myself two about how they live their life and how they, they see the world. Um, I've got the Chief Creative Officer for North America for Campbell Ewald. I can't wait to talk to him. I, I love um, what he says about himself. He's a hustler of culture. I love it. So um, introducing Clarence. Hey, you Clarence. Hey, how are you? I'm good, thank you. So whereabouts are you talking from this morning? I'm speaking to you from New York City, and thank you so much for having me, Jamie. No worries. I know you're a very busy person, and you've just literally started a new, a new job, a new position, which I'm so excited to talk to you about, um, and also your previous job as well at Vayner Media. Um, so how, how did you get into the world of the creative? I mean, you've had such an amazing career as a creative director. Like, did, whereabouts, whereabouts did you grow up, and how did you get into it? Okay, uh, well, I'm originally from Atlanta, Georgia, mm -hmm. and uh, I, went, I, I grew up there, I went to college there, and uh, my creative path started, I mean, I was always, I guess you would consider myself, I was always a creative kid, I, was, I loved to draw and paint and um, kind of write little poems and things of that nature, but it, in regards to kind of a professional creative career, I, when I was 15 years old, um, my two friends and I went to go see Spike Lee's second movie, which was called School Days. Mm -hmm. And my dad picked me up from the movie theater and he was like, hey guys, how was the movie? And I was elated. I was like, oh my gosh, it was this movie. This guy Spike Lee, he, he wrote it, he directed it, he produced it. And it was all about black people going to college. And I was like, did you know black people make movies? And he was like, yeah, black people do all kinds of things. But up until that point in my life, I had never a thought about uh, things like movie making as a career. Mm. You know, I knew it existed, but I never thought of it as something that you could do for a living. And B, I'd never seen any black people or people of color, for that matter, 
who were in a creative industry. Mm-hmm. And you know, my neighborhood was full of, you know, like my dad is a carpenter, my mom was a secretary, like our neighbors, we grew up near the airport. So everybody had a job that was either kind of related to the airport, flight attendants, pilots, plane engineers, you know, mechanics, airplane mechanics, or like there was a, like you had people who were postmen, school teachers, you know, we lived near an army base, had a lot of people who were in the military, but there were no people who had creative jobs of any kind. So the idea that someone would pay you to be creative, like fascinated me. So. Because it, 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 it is interesting though, isn't it? Like, unless you see someone doing that sort of job or see, have you seen someone going, oh, you could be a, a music commissioner or you could be someone who's a producer. Like, unless you know it exists, you don't, you don't even think about, you obviously, you, you must think going, oh, there must be someone who does that. But if you don't see it, you don't know about it. Yeah, yeah. And, and I think for me, I mean, there are lots of things that, when you're a kid, you experience, but you don't really recognize them as an occupation. Like you grow up maybe loving ice cream or loving cupcakes or, you know, going to your favorite, whatever, but you don't think you're just there to purchase the stuff. Mm-hmm. You don't really think that there's a, you know, the person who's making you cupcake, that's a, they're a baker and that's what that's they a job. do. It's a job, you know? Yeah. Or the delivery person who could delivers it. Like there's a job as well. Yeah. So you don't really, because as I, I don't know um, how, how um, what your upbringing was, but for me, like when I was a kid, it was very formalized in the sense of like doctor, lawyer, accountant, you know, fireman, police officer, post worker. You know, it was all these things that you read about in like kid books and and kind of stuff that you interact with on a day to day basis. But mm-hmm. you know, like the idea of wanting to be an astronaut, you know. Being an astronaut is something you can even think about because you at least knew about, you know, space travel and NASA and all that other kind of stuff. But like the idea that someone could say you could be Spike Lee or Steven Spielberg or something like that. I'm like, I have no connection to these people whatsoever. So, so yeah, so that's, so I saw that movie, it changed my life. I then knew what I wanted to do when I went to college because up until that point, all I knew about college was it was something that you did after high school and you go there to study something that would get you a real job and I thought did, it was going to be did you know did you know before this film that you what you wanted to study college at college or did that film kind of make you go okay I want to be a creative oh wow cool amazing yeah it was if that was that was the turning point for me um yeah up until that point I had no idea I knew my parents wanted me to go to college I knew that I needed to go to college to get a good job but I had no idea what I was going to do when I got to college. Like, Mm-mm. I just thought I was going to study something very generic like business or computers or something like that. But I, had, there was nothing, I didn't really, at the time, mm-hmm. I didn't equate that to passion. Mm-hmm. Like, like college was the thing that you had to do just like you had to go to primary school mm-hmm. or, or secondary school. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I just thought it was just you go there because you have to go there and you do whatever they tell you to do and you go out in the world and get, get a job. Mm-hmm. But when I saw this movie, then I, I recognized that I can actually take my passions and turn them into an occupation. Mm-hmm. And that changed my life. So I, I went to college uh, in Atlanta mm-hmm. uh, and studied through the same program that Spike Lee did as an undergraduate and studied film and television production 
and while in school got to work on because this was this was the early 90s so atlanta was kind of coming into its own as um, a music scene mm. you know you had bands like uh crisscross and and um it, it was it was the days of um scooter braun isn't it oh, i don't know scooter braun scooter braun is, is he's the manager for of um of uh, Justin Bieber and all that sort of thing. And I think he was doing club promotion in Atlanta because the music scene was amazing back then. He probably was, yeah. I, 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 the name sounds familiar, but I, I don't, I've never met him. Um, but that was the thing about Atlanta at the time. A lot of these people who became huge and famous, there was, a, there was less than a six degree of separation from all of these people because we all went to rival high schools. We all went to the same parties and hung out at the same burger joints. and you know, dated the same people. So there was, it was a very tight knit mm. circle. So like Outkast, Woody Mob, TLC, you know, all of these people were part of, part of the circle that I grew up in. I mean, like, I, you know, it was, like I said, it's like two or three people separated from all of these people and you'd go to places and you'd be like, oh wow, that's so-and-so. But, um, but I growing up in Atlanta during that time, I had the opportunity to work on a lot of music videos. Uh, I used, to be a big dancer, I danced in a couple of music videos and like did no, club okay. things and yeah. Um, and it was it was I mean not not huge music videos, but no, no, no. but um, but like like when artists would perform in nightclubs and stuff like that, they would you know we um, my friends and I would be background dancers for them and stuff like that just for fun. Just yeah, just yeah, for sure. And, and so I I was doing all of those types of things, but. I, at that point, I kind of the weight was taken off of me. I knew at this point what I wanted to do with my life. I knew I wanted to be a, a, a filmmaker or, or be a creative person. And when I got to college, I had a I had a, a roommate who was in the advertising club at my university, mm-hmm. and he invited me to come to a meeting. And the advertising club, their their kind of sponsor was uh, the Atlanta office of uh, this huge agency called BBDO. Mm-hmm. And they were all, there were these people from there and they were all talking about their different roles and whatnot. And I was like, oh, wow, that kind of sounds interesting. Like, so advertising is kind of like 30 second, 60 second films. That's mm-hmm. cool. Excuse me. And then I ended up getting an internship um, working for a company in Atlanta in a marketing group. And then their agency came down and did a presentation. And the way that they did the presentation really blew my mind. I was like, wow, they're pitching a movie. You know, it was just commercials, like a campaign of commercials. But the way that they did it, it felt like they were pitching us a movie. And I was like, and I told my boss after the meeting, I said, I'm sitting on the wrong side of the table. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't know what those guys do. So I went to portfolio school in Miami and studied copywriting and had the opportunity to travel throughout the United States, um, interning and studying with different agencies. Um, and just kind of growing in the craft. And then I got my first job in New York. And then I was kind of off to the races from there. Because a lot of people go into kind of the creative sector or go into advertising, studying like creative direction or art direction or graphic design. How come you studied copywriting and you then entered into the industry as a copywriter and then moved into the creative sector? Well... Well, the copywriter, a copywriter is in, is, is part of the creative department. So, mm-hmm. 
So when you when you work in advertising, they you work in teams of two. You have an art director and you have a copywriter, mm-hmm. and the two of you come up with ideas, concepts for all the different you know what I call we come up with um, advertising solutions for marketing problems. Is the mm-hmm. way I explain it to people, and so that's why I studied um, in Miami Ad School. And then when I got my first job, I was paired with an art director at Video New York. And, and that's what we did. We just worked together coming up with ideas. And then as I, you know, grew and mature, I matured in my career, um, I kind of raised through the ranks and became creative director and, mm-hmm. and changed gears from coming up with ideas to helping people grow and develop ideas mm-hmm. and spending more time in front of clients and helping them understand the power of the idea and, um, kind of partnering with them to get a true sense of what it is they wanted out of an idea and making them a part of the creative process and, and growing the idea and maturing it to a place to where it's, you know, just smarter, funnier, you know, does all the things that it, it's, that they wanted it to do, you know, mm-hmm. while still, you know, keeping a creative um, high bar. Yeah. And, and you must, you must have seen a massive shift over concepts and ideas of the last year with all the kind of political and social things and cultural things that are going on. And how has that kind of changed that conversation with clients that you, you're, you're having at the moment compared to what you were having conversations last year? Uh, well, the conversations in a lot of ways have gotten um, easier because for, for a long time, as a person of color coming up in advertising, um, I would try to get certain brands to recognize that they were sitting on a gold mine um, in regards to pop culture. I'm like, you guys don't recognize that young people are using your brand in this way. They've renamed it this, and this is how they, they do it. They're talking about it in a hip hop song, or kids are you know, using, you know, wearing these things this way, or you know, there's, there's slang related to your thing. And, a lot of brands at the time didn't want to touch that kind of stuff. They, they felt that it took the brand into a place they didn't want it to go. They felt that it was um, too urban or, you know, it, the, the market was too narrow. And I'm like, no, 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 you don't recognize. This is pop culture. We're not talking about this. Is, this is what everybody is doing with your brand. So, so now, kind of like, you know, post- me too movement post black lives matter movement not really post but you know and the throes of these things we're definitely not post any of these things but um clients are much more like some clients are finally kind of like great we can finally talk about these things without you know ruffling too many feathers from on the consumer side and on the business side Mm -hmm. and then other brands are kind of being dragged along going like okay we have to do this because other brands are doing it um so now when we want to talk about, uh, you know, cultural nuances, you know, whether it be amongst like people of color or like the gay community or any of these types of things, we're like, look, no, this is cool. You should be talking about this. Mm-hmm. This, this is what we are basically holding, you know, making you guys a mirror to culture now, mm-hmm. you know, and a lot of brands are like, great, we want to do that. And a lot of brands are requesting like, no guys, you haven't done that enough. Like we want, you know, to cast something with a gay couple. We want to cast this with, uh, with a, um, an interracial couple or a people of color or something like that. We want to work with a black director. Um, 
So before it was something you always had to, you know, I can't, I don't want to say fight to get, but definitely it was much more of a challenge to try to explain to them the value of it. Now, but how do they not see the value? I don't understand how before they didn't see the value of it though. How do they not see that that was the kind of the future of their, of their audience, where it was going? You'd be surprised. It's, it's, uh, what I've noticed, there, there are a handful of brands in the world, just in, in the world, that have a, clue, have a clear understanding of who they are and what they, what they believe. Um, like on that short list of Apple, like Nike, like all the different version brands that exist. Um, they are like, look, this is what we believe. This is, you know, this is our role in culture. And we're going to talk about that, you know. And there are other brands that um, don't want to offend anybody, you know. They, they're, they're kind of what I call an 8 to 80 brand. It's like, you know, we don't want to offend old people, but we also don't want to offend, like, middle-aged white guys, you know. We don't want to offend women, and we don't want to, want, don't want to offend moms, and we don't want to offend, you know, like, you know, the disabled, we don't want to offend like all these different types of things. And if you end up going around saying you don't want to offend anybody, you end up being extremely vanilla, you know, mm. you, end yeah. up doing, you end up doing the same thing that other brands are doing. Mm. And like I'm saying, like now, culture has evolved to a point to where that kind of um, homogenous thinking is no longer accepted. Like people are like, no, we're not all the same. Like I want to celebrate who I am as a black person. I want to celebrate who I am you know, as a person of color or as, or as a woman, you know, <clears throat> you know, or like my sexual location is not something I'm going to hide anymore. This is something, this is who I am. Like, and brands are recognizing, but, and, I, and I, I credit the internet a lot for it because people, you know, all, you know, we're all individual brains, you know, and now because of the internet, because of different social channels and whatnot, people come out and they talk about these things. Mm. And, they get huge followings for it and, and people share it and they're like, oh yeah, I'm cool with that. I'm cool. I'm cool with how you live your life. Oh, I'm cool with your culture. I'm cool. Like I'm, I'm curious about your culture. I want to know. So mm -hmm. we live in a world now where there's kind of this democratization of culture. Everybody wants to know about each other's culture and everybody's cool and, and, and open to people's cultures and brands are having to embrace that. So brands are just kind of following the lead of people. They're going, oh, you guys don't have a problem with an interracial couple? Okay, we'll put that in a commercial. You, know, you guys don't have a problem, you know, with, with transgender um, people? Oh, okay, we can put that in a commercial. Sure, surely, surely should, shouldn't you be, it's, it's, it's like um, the speaker, Simon Sinek, always says like, follow the kind of the audience. Like, at some point, like, I think it was even Stephen, Steve Jobs even said like, at some point having a product if you don't know where to put the audience, or you don't know, it doesn't, it's, not, it's not useful for your audience. So you always have to think, what is the service of the audience? And what do they want? And I think that's what, I think that's what you should be doing, is just listening to the audience, listening to, to the consumer. Like if they go, if that's cool, rather than going, what maybe m most brands do is they go, oh, you know, I've got a really sick idea. It's going to be this or this. But they don't think about the audience. They'll go, well, why don't you just listen to the audience and what they want? And I don't understand why that's just not a simple thing for, for brands to do. Well, it's, it's for a long time, most brands were very tone deaf, very tone deaf. Like, do you, uh, there's so many stories. Like, I'll, I'll give you an example. For many, many years, the brand Timberland completely ignored the fact 
that they were the shoe of choice in the hip hop community for like the fall and the winter. Mm. Um, and like kids would rock Timberland boots in a certain way, they style them in a certain way, they, you know, wear them in music videos and like everybody, it was the shoe of choice. Yeah, I mean, then, years ago it was the thing, yeah. Yeah, and it kind of spilled out in, into broader culture. And you know, now you see like little white kids rocking Timberlands and doing this other kind of stuff and whatnot. But the brand Timberland didn't acknowledge it for years. But how did they, they not see it though? I don't understand how they didn't see it. It's not that they didn't see it, they just didn't want to acknowledge it because they didn't know, they felt that it was kind of a denigration of the brand. It was like, no, we're an outdoors brand. And you know, these are kids romping and stomping around in our boots in the inner city. Like, that has nothing to do with our brand. And, you know, we don't, we don't, if we, the thought is if we embrace that, then the people who kind of don't like hip hop culture will be like, oh, well, Timberland's turned into a hip hop culture brand. I'm just going to go shop at LLB now. Mm. They don't think that there's room enough for all of us. Yeah. You know, they, and that, but that's the kind of myopic view of a lot of different brands. They think if I embrace this, then that means everything else is going to, you know, come crumble around it. And it's mm -hmm. now brands are smart enough to recognize, or some, like I said, some brands have been dragged in into this way of thinking where they recognize that we can be a brand for everybody. And we don't have to have this kind of 1950s, you know, white picket fence family of four, you know, like Because that, 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 that vision is old now. Like even like I was reading an ID magazine about how Gen Z culture see now relationships. Like it's not, you don't even think about one person for the rest of your life. We now think about there could be multiple loves of our lives now because it's so, the idea of like, being with someone for 50 years is a very, very old sort of way of thinking. It's a great idea and it's a lovely idea if you can find that, but it doesn't mean that's the vision for everyone. Like there is multiple visions now. And I think that's what's, I think that's what we have to kind of realize is that white picket fence is, is, is an old vision. Yeah, absolutely. And I think we're probably now for the last like 10, 15 years, people have slowly started kind of changing brands, I should say have slowly started to recognize that they need to embrace what culture has long embraced. Mm. So you don't get that kind of pushback anymore. Like the, the 1950s thinking is, for most brands, I would say there are a few um, um, brands that are still holding out, but for most brands, they recognize now, like we need to embrace culture because culture is embracing culture. Like we, if we're gonna be, be able to be relatable to our consumers and have them see us as a brand that fits into their lives, we need to look like their lives. Mm. So, so yeah, it's, it's weird. It's, it's very, very weird, but um, I'm glad that it's taking place because what it does as a creative person selfishly, it allows for people like myself and creative industries to have a voice now that can be heard. Mm. You know, they're, they're, there are plenty of people of color who are writers, directors, art, you know, like photographers, you know, they, um, there are people in the LGBTQI community that have had these stories that they want to tell as creative people. And now the world is allowing them to tell their stories because now they see the value in their stories. They, that before we were, we were all kind of these teeny tiny subcultures that they felt that didn't matter. But now they're recognizing, I mean, Look at the success of Moonlight. Moonlight was a massive movie. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And, and 
And I'm sure a lot of, you know, I wonder how long he pitched that movie, how, how long Barry Jenkins pitched that movie before it got, uh, before it got years. It's, yeah. it's, it's, it's so fascinating when you hear about from behind the scenes of how long it takes to, like even The Irishman with, um, uh, is it Martin Scorsese? I think it, who, who, who yeah. it. Like, I mean, I remember him talking about like, it took him apps, like five or six, seven years to get it around, even like longer than that, to get, to get the sign up. And it's so fascinating that Moonlight was probably the same thing as well because it's so risky. Yeah. So, and, and I'm, I'm so glad that the entertainment industry as a whole and like brands as a whole have, have started to embrace the idea of, um, just, just embrace culture, just embrace mm -hmm. culture as, as something it's like when we, so now when I'm talking about something like, and I have, like, I should back up as a person now that's leading an agency, I have, uh, I'm in a position now to my partner and I, um, some Bononi, we're now in a position to start looking at our creative department and saying, we want this to be a reflection of culture. We want to be able to tell multiple stories, mm -hmm. you know? So we're, we're, we're now trying to build a creative department that reflects culture, that's a mirror of culture. And, um, and not that it wasn't there right now, but we're trying to grow it, we, we, you know, definitely there. So that's really important to us. And there's not that we don't we're not getting any pushback from the agency. I seriously doubt we'll get any pushback from any of the brands that we represent. Um, it's it's everybody starting to recognize the value of tapping into these cultures, not just to sell products and services, but like I said, to just be a voice in those communities. You know what I'm saying? Like something is generic. And, I, th I, th I think you, the, the days of just selling product is so dead now. You have to have a story. You have to, like, as, as much as I, it's like the why. Why do you do what you do? And I think, like, for instance, Nike gets it so right every, for me personally, they get it so right every time because they have a, such a strong why that people don't still buy the brand, the product. Yeah. They buy the why you do it. And yeah. I think when brands do that and they go in with, we're doing this because of why, then you can sell absolutely anything to anyone, yeah. any product, because they're not buying the product, they're buying the why you do it. Yeah, that's a great, it's a great title for, for a thought piece, like buying the why. Um, buying the why. Yeah, it's, it's, but you're absolutely right. Like, we demand more from brands now. And we, meant, we demand more from entertainment now. We're like, hey, look, you know, we all carry a miniature, you know, production department or like miniature entertainment company in our pockets now. Mm -hmm. So, if you and I wanted to come up with a movie and go out and shoot it, or write a write a song and make a music video, we could do that before the end of the week and post it and get millions of hits mm -hmm. and not need out. We don't need the, the machine. We don't need the internet, the you know, massive entertainment machine to be successful. Mm -hmm. And companies are starting to recognize that and they're saying, okay, well, we need to meet these people where they are and see, see how, they're, how they're telling stories and, and see the value in the stories that they're telling. And we need to tell those stories on a grander scale. And that's, that's the thing that I'm recognizing. Like when we, when we all had the ability to become a brand, you know, through social media and through, through the power of like, you know, mobile phones with, with, you know, phone, I mean, with, with cameras and video and all this other kind of stuff. Once we have power to make ourselves a brand, we can touch, we can start telling, you know, varied stories. Mm. And 
the, the business world had to catch up and they had to recognize this like no longer, I can no longer just hold up a box of, of soap and say, buy this soap, it'll get your clothes clean. It's like, no. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, no, tell me why, why? Like why there's, there's so many boxes of soap on this shelf. Give yeah. me, I need to have an emotional connection, create an emotional connection to your brand for me. If mm. not, it means nothing to me. Mm. Um, so I think I, I love what I do for that, being able to create those kind of stories that give an emotional connection um, to people. Mm. Um, mm. It's interesting, isn't it? If you ever had a pushback from brands and then going, okay, well, this, the agency that we represent, well, that the agency that's represented of that brand then kind of part ways because they did, there is a, a different kind of vision or end goal. Has that ever been a situation where it's just not working out and you go, you know what, we should probably separate? Uh, I've heard of it. I've never experienced it directly. Um, I've come close on a couple of situations where you just have a, you have a brand that doesn't, that doesn't want to budge. Like they have a mindset of who they are, what they want. They see their brand you know, a certain way, and they just want you to sell it that certain way. And you're coming to them saying, hey, look, we can do this, but it's not really gonna move the needle. And you pay us to move the needle. You, you pay us to help you move product. And we're telling you, here's a smarter angle. Like here's, here's, here's a piece of truth that we can hang a great campaign on mm -hmm. that everyone can relate to about your brand. This is a true story about your brand. It's, and a lot of brands are just kind of like, no, that's not the story we want to tell. We want to tell this story. Yeah. And there are a few brave agencies out there that'll be like, you know what? I don't think we are the best partners and we should, we should um, part ways. But I would say that the industry is still in a place, especially now that we're in the middle of a quarantine, where they're like, look, we're not in a position to lose this piece of business. We all got to eat. So we'll kind of powtow and just say, okay, that's the story you want to tell. And then we'll, we'll, we'll tell that story for you. And then all they end up doing is shooting themselves in the foot because what will brand brands are, brands are like human beings. Like we all have, you know, selective memory. We all have, you know, our own POV of a, of a story. So we put a product out there based on the story they wanted us to tell, which we felt was wrong. It doesn't move the needle like we tell them it wasn't going to move the needle then they'll come back and blame the agency and go see guys i thought you know we really needed to move this product we needed to do this and it fell flat why did it fall flat and we're like we tried to tell you this was a smarter way of doing it and they're going to know you did it and, and and you're just kind of like okay so we'll have to try something else so mm -hmm. it's fr that's that's frustrating it's made it's amazing i think it was like uber that did that billboard and they said, delete Uber if you want to do, I think this is a walking protest or something that was going on in America. I think it was in America. And they, mm -hmm. they had a billboard and they said, if you're, if you like politics, if you like culture or whatever, delete the app and join the walk. And I thought, oh, absolutely. Hands, clap their hands for people who were so ballsy enough to, you know, to, to delete the app, to delete the business. But I thought it was just so brilliant that sometimes that risky choice it makes a massive kind of impact. And I think that's what all brands should be doing, making an impact. I mean, that's what I do in my life when I'm talking to my clients and talking to people going, what, why do we play safe? Let's, let's make an impact. That's, that, that's what people want to do. And, and that's what you're going to get noticed for. Yeah. And I think, there, again, I think there are certain brands 
um, and certain leaders at certain brands that are brave enough to recognize it's like, look, if we take a stand, you know, or if we make a statement, we're going to ruffle some feathers. But you know what? We don't want those consumers anyway. We're going to stand for this. And by standing for this, we'll probably gain a larger following than we ever had because people are like, okay, this brand stands for something. They believe in this. We, mm-hmm. we share, we share same, uh, similar values. Mm-hmm. And, you know, like perfect example was the um, Colin Kaepernick situation where Nike stood behind him and then all the people started burning their Nikes and all making these different protests about Nike and all this kind of stuff. I'll never buy your shoes again. And Nike was like, that's cool. You know, like we're the number one leading sports, I mean, sports apparel brand in the world. Mm-hmm. That, that's okay. We're, we're quite all right. And, and what I noticed as, a, as kind of a, as a marketer, I'm looking at these protests and a lot of these people aren't the people who are going to the Nike store to buy Nikes. They're buying them at these, you know, like secondhand places. Well, not secondhand places, but the kind of like lower tier places. Yeah. You know, so I'm like, so they're, they're shopping at the lower tier places saying, I'll never buy your, your apparel again. And it was like, okay, well, you're, you're buying the $20 apparel versus $100 apparel. So yeah, that's okay. We're good. <laughs> yeah. You know, and, and they're like, look, but we're still going to be Nike. You know what I'm saying? You're not going to ever stop us from being who we are. And if we, if we lose you in the process, that's okay. That just shows that you weren't doing it. You weren't as Nike as we are. Yeah, but I also but I also agree. Sometimes people brands don't get it right, and it's okay sometimes not to get it right because they are trying to push the boat and trying to push product. And it's like it, it's like that. I don't want to say the brand because I, I can't remember the brand, but I don't want to upset. I think it was at that protest, and and one of the famous female celebrities was opening a bottle of whatever it is on the thing, and you go, I'm sure the intention was really good at the beginning but it came off a, a different a different angle. But I much, for me personally, I'd much rather than try and risk it and test the waters and try to push rather than playing safe. Like no one wants to be safe in life. We all want to like push the boat. We also want to look back at our life and go, actually, we made that consciousness choice. We made that risk. Yeah, I, I completely agree. And in that particular situation you're talking about, what they didn't do is that they didn't stay genuine. They, mm-hmm. they were still making an ad. They weren't make. They thought they 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 masked it as a as a statement, but they were really just making an ad with a celebrity and all this other kind of stuff, instead of just staying true to what to the situation. You mm-hmm. know, like if you're gonna if you're gonna make it if you're gonna take a stand about a particular issue, then be about the issue. Mm-hmm. Don't be about the product. Don't be about, you know, celebrities and all this kind of stuff. Be about the issue first. And that's what they were. Like the product came first and then the issue was second. And that's why it didn't work. Yep. So, so yeah, like you said, you gotta, you gotta be true. You know, like we're as, as own, as individual brands, we're all savvy marketers. You know, we've all been sold stuff ever since we were children. So we, we all know how it works and we all know we can all smell BS from a mile away. So we want, if you're not going to speak to us in a truthful way, then we're going to turn off. It's the same thing in like in, in personal relationships. If, if you're around, you know, you don't want to be friends with someone who constantly lies to you just to get what they want. Mm. So. That's very true. And so, so to finalize the podcast, what we always do is we always ask our, our guests a sort of life mantra. Like if you had to give back to someone a phrase or a quote that you kind of live your life by or th- things that you think about when you're in times of success 
or times of doubt, what would you say? My, my university's mantra uh, or motto is I will find a way or make one. Oh, I love that. I yeah. love that. And I have it at the bottom of my email. I have it on my Instagram feed. I have it. And it's just something that I've always, since hearing it, I actually had been living it for a long time, but didn't have a phrase for it. And then when I got to university and I saw it, I was like, oh, yeah, I believe that. And it's, and it's just one of those situations where it puts you like, like it gives you hope, but it also puts you in a position to say, look, if, if, what you, if, if not a path already for what it is that you want to do, then plot the path yourself. Mm. have the courage to plot the path yourself do the legwork ask the questions make the alliances and 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 you can still do it you know mm. and and that's how i always have lived my life like i will find a way or i'll make one you know and it, it for me it embraces you know people and saying hey look i can if you are struggling to try to do something jamie i can help you you know, I'm, I'm part of you making that way. You yeah, know, yeah, um, sure. You know, I can also be a part of helping you find that way. Like, I can share my knowledge, you know, my past stories and say, hey, look, if this helps you in any way, you know, use it. You yeah. know, if I, if I can be of assistance to you in any way, you know, let me know. So I, I've always loved it for that. I can find, a, I, I will find a way or make one. I think it's really good, though. I think it's because it's about... It's all about community. It's about conversation. It's about like when I was younger, I was really, really encouraged to have mentors to, to, to ask those questions, to go, I really want to get here, but how do I get there? Where do I go? Who do I talk to? And then once you have that kind of knowledge information, then you can make an assertive choice to go, okay, I'm going to make that path for me. And I think that's what a lot of people get stuck is the, the information, the knowledge. They're like, I want, I don't, I kind of want to get to there, but I don't know how to get to there. And I think people in, in our situation who are uh, at a certain level, who are, who are open to kind of have, having those conversations with people to give them the information so they can get to the next point so they can make a conscious choice of their path is really, really important. So I really applaud you as well to that you are actively open to having these conversations with people to work to say, how can I help? How can I serve you? And I think that's really important, not to service ourselves, but to service other people. No, absolutely. Like I, I'm, I'm a big believer that you get nowhere by yourself. And uh, there's a lot of people who open doors for me. And um, and now, as as I have matriculated in my career, I've always wanted to be a person who could, you know, pay it forward or or you know give back to the mm -hmm. community. Um, that that help make me into the creative person that I am today. So. Anytime I have an opportunity to, to, to help people, you know, I, I take it, you know, like the Bible talks about, you know, you're blessed to be a blessing. So like if I, if I have achieved, you know, this level that I've achieved at this agency, like chief creative officer, I, I'm like, hey, look, if I can do it, you can do it. You yeah. know what I mean? Whatever I can do to help you get to this level, if this is what you want, then I want to help you do that. Mm -hmm. You know, like if I can hold like, my, uh, my partner, Selmo, and I, we talk about how, you know, now that, now that we're at the top, we can hold the door open for everyone to come in. Like before mm -hmm. the door was closed to us, but now that the door is open, we're going to put our foot in the door and we're going to let in, in as many people as possible while they let us do so. You know? <laughs> yeah. Okay? yeah. Uh, so that, and that's, 
and that's always been really important to me. You know what I'm saying? And, you know, as a person of color, helping other people of color, as just as a, a person who, you know, didn't come from, you know, wealth or whatever situation like that, just being able to be an example and, 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 and be a conduit for folks to be able to kind of come in and do the things that they want to do. Like, I'm, I'm a big believer in asking dumb questions. Never, I, I don't care what room I'm in. If I'm in a room full of like C-suite people, I'll raise my hand and go like, dumb question, blah, you know, because it's the only way I'm going to learn. You know what I'm saying? And then I can and then I can go back to someone else and say, okay, when you're in this situation in a room full of C-suite people, this is the these are the questions you need to ask. These are the answers that you need to know. You know, because like I I had, you know, I I started it first. So now I can take that knowledge from my experience and share it with other folks. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, like you said, like sometimes we don't always have the kind of mentors and whatnot that we want. So when we so then we have to become those for other people. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Well, I want to say thank, thank you so much for giving me your time. I mean, it's been such an amazing conversation. I'm, I feel so stimulated after this. I'm like, I can take from the world. Uh, <laughs> so thank you so much and all the best for all your projects and, and have a lovely, safe trip when you get to LA. Thank you so much, Jeremy. I appreciate the time again. You know, um, hopefully I can return the favor if I ever do a podcast. <laughs> This is 360 Yourself and I'm Jamie Neal. Thank you very much for taking a moment to listen to our wonderful guests. Please subscribe to our podcast to access all our brilliant guest episodes. They are released every Sunday at 12pm. We are available on all listening platforms, Spotify, Pocket Cast, Overcast, Google Podcasts and Castro. You can also find us on Instagram at 360 underscore yourself, Twitter at yourself360 and our host at Jamie Neal JN. Thank you for listening. dedicated podcast meeting brilliant minds and looking at the world around them. How do they 360 themselves and 360 the world? Jamie Neal, the host, asks many questions about their mindset and how they fundamentally operate their world and the world around them. and I'm Jamie Neal. Thank you very much for taking a moment to listen to our wonderful guests. Please subscribe to our podcast to access all our brilliant guest episodes. They are released every Sunday at 12pm. We are available on all listening platforms, Spotify, Pocket Cast, Overcast, Google Podcasts and Castro. You can also find us on Instagram at 360 underscore yourself, Twitter at yourself360 and our host at Jamie Neal JN. Thank you for listening. <laughs>